Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Hello again, friends, and welcome on into episode 95 of the SCO Show, proudly a part of the Pat's Pulpit Podcast Network and brought to you by the great folks at SB Nation. My name is Mark Schofield, back in the big chair for today, Thursday, April 9th, 2020, show number three of the week. Got a guest, it's basically going to be most of the show, say two-thirds of the show, my conversation with Shane Alexander. He's not in the game anymore, but he still has his heart in the draft in Alabama football, and believe it or not, in the New England Patriots. So we're going to talk to Shane about life after Brady, his thoughts on Brady going to Tampa Bay, his thoughts on Brady's Howard Stern interview, some thoughts on the Bama prospects, and more. Up first, though, you know what we got to do at the outset, our usual set of reminders. Please do follow along with the hijinks at Mark Schofield on Twitter. Check out the work at places like Inside the Pylon. Pro Football Weekly, Matt Waldman's rookie scouting portfolio. Not one, not two, but three. Count them, three SB Nation websites. Big Blue View, Bleeding Green Nation, and right here at Pat's Pulpit. Also check out the work at Touchdown Wire, touchdownwire.usatoday.com, part of the USA Today Wire Network. I've been going through top 11 in a number of positions in the draft. We just got done wide receivers and tight ends. Up next for me, that's probably set for a Saturday published, interior offensive lineman. Then on Sunday, interior defensive lineman. Then Monday, my final mock over at USA Today Touchdown Wire before the draft. Then on Tuesday, linebackers. So I got a lot of work to do, so I better hop to it. Before the conversation with Shane, though, I do think we have to talk for a couple of moments about Tom Brady. And this is not going to be a rehash of why he left, things like that. But he did have a sit-down conversation with Howard Stern on on Wednesday. And I will say at the outset that I'm not like a big Howard Stern listener. I, I think he's interesting. I think he does do a good job interviewing subjects, as we saw with this interview with Brady. And I think there are some notable things to sort of pull out and talk about for a couple of minutes from Brady's sit-down with Howard Stern, from his chat with Howard Stern. First off, got to fix the Wi-Fi. I mean, I know we're all sort of adjusting to kind of a, a Wi-Fi, Zoom, Skype type experience now. I'm sure those of you that have been watching news, watching late-night shows now, like, for example, Tuesday night, watching Stephen Colbert and Conan Thomas, Conan O'Brien. Conan O'Brien comes on, and they're doing the Skype interview. It's amusing for me because that's how I've been living my life for the past five years, doing podcasts via Zoom, via Skype, knowing what it's like when 
like Tom Brady experience when suddenly it, it all cuts out and you don't know if the host heard you heard your answer or not. Like those little foibles that you're seeing other people dealing with that you're used to just seeing on TV, kind of my daily life. So that part has been interesting. You know, when you when you see on a news program, you know, so and so expert on whatever comes on and they're in their kitchen or they're in their dining room or they're in you know some sort of home office or i was saw someone with a lawyer that was part of you know a previous administration and he's just basically in some room in his house and you see like the entire house behind him my wife like turns to me she's like this is why you don't do that you have an office with a bookshelf and all that stuff because if you ever set up for a zoom interview and i see the entire house behind you we're gonna have words so i digress but so Got to fix the Wi-Fi. That's issue one. Issue two. We all knew it was ending, right? Like when Brady comes out and says, I knew before last season that this was probably my last year. New England, We knew, right? Like we felt it. And I talked about it on the previous version of the show, the Locked on Patriots podcast, where I said, look, part of the reason why Patriots fans say last summer maybe last draft, were a bit frantic was because we felt in the back of our minds that the window was closing. That the Tom Brady era, that window was closing. And Brady basically said that. Basically said, look, I knew I was going to go. You know, I'm always going to go back there. I'm always going to be part of that community, but... I knew going into last season, it was probably my last year with the Patriots. And it leads into that idea of, was last year the final ride? And it's an idea that I've come to grips with more and more when you revisit, through the benefit of 2020 vision and 2020 hindsight, the fact that, you know, they make the Antonio Brown signing. They trade for Mohamed Sanu. I, they sort of felt, I think, as an organization that this was the final ride. And so a lot of things come more into focus now looking back at the last eight months or so. I thought it was great the way he handled the Brady or Belichick question. And I think he's absolutely right. And it's something that I've tried to stress. And I'm sure like both of them would like to have success without the other. But like Brady said, look, I can't do his job. He can't do mine. It's a pretty bleep argument. A pretty bleeping argument, actually, which is how he phrased it. And there's credence to that. There's an argument to be made that Tom Brady isn't Tom Brady without Bill Belichick. I still think Brady would have been successful given what we know about him, but this level of success, maybe not. Bill Belichick would have probably had some success in New England without Tom Brady, but perhaps not this level of success. Both of them fed off each other. They made each other better. And I was on a radio show Wednesday night, my weekly spot on Sportsnet Sportsnet 650 up in Vancouver, and I was talking about this, and I basically, you know, Tom Brady was able to mask a lot of problems on the Patriots roster. You know, Belichick probably has to spend more in terms of draft capital and salary cap space and free agent dollars on the offense if he doesn't have Tom Brady. And that has a snowball effect down the roster. But at the same time, 
Belichick gave Brady his shot. Belichick believed in him over Bledsoe back in the day. Belichick was able to do things on the defensive side of the ball early in Brady's career while he was becoming the quarterback we grew to love by the middle of his career. And so, you know, maybe they win Super Bowl 36. Maybe they don't, and who knows? But I think these two needed each other. And I think that's really the biggest takeaway for me. Other people look at why he went to Tampa Bay, the fact that he doesn't care about legacies. I, I don't know. I think he cares about legacies. You know, I, I think other people make a lot about the fact that he drinks a ton of water, which we all should. It's good for you. I need to drink more water. I think we all do. But I think for me, that was the biggest takeaway, that Brady looks at that Brady-Belichick question and kind of scoffs at it, because I think we all should. Now, is that going to stop people from yelling about it on Twitter? No, especially now when people have nothing else to do but yell on Twitter. Is that going to stop people from asking about it on sports shows or debating it on sports shows? We are going to embrace debate? Certainly not. But that is what it is. Brady's moved on. And it's time for us to do so too. But we will revisit this question in a couple minutes when my guest, the one and only Shane Alexander, we're going to talk about football, life, love, happiness, all sorts of fun stuff. That's ahead. My conversation with Shane Alexander next on episode 95 of The Sco Show. This is advertiser content brought to you by Frito-Lay. Hello, I'm Chip Murphy, here to get you ready for the big tournament. Tonight we'll break down... We break down who will be cutting... Cut! What are you two doing? Sorry, Chip. Prez here got his feathers ruffled when I told him Ruffles has zero chance of winning the title. And I was letting Dip know that she is not taking into account Ruffles' iconic ridges. Guys, it's March. We have to start talking about the tournament. We are. It is the 2023 Frito-Lay Snack-It. We're talking about big-time matchups between Cheetos, Smart Food, Lay's, Sun Chips, and more. Just head to the Frito-Lay Snack Bracket and vote for your favorite chip, pretzel, or dip for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. This sounds great. Keep up the good work. Just go to frito No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends 4-3-2023. Void wherever hit Here's worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. And welcome back to episode 95 of the SCO Show, proudly a part of the Pat's Pulpit Podcast Network and brought to you by the fine folks at SB Nation. And folks, this is somewhat of a monumentous occasion. It's not every day when somebody sort of comes out of retirement to get back in the game, even if just for a single pod. But this next guest is a close dear friend of mine, but he's coming off the bench, so to speak. Used to work with him over at Inside the Pylon. Used to co-host our college podcast over there with the one only Jeff Ferrer. He is Shane Alexander. Shane, buddy, how you been? Hey, man. Uh, it's good to come back. Um, I feel like Michael Jordan. Uh, wearing the 4-5? Wearing the 4-5. The, the there you go. Um but yeah, man. Hey, you know, I reached out to you in the group chat last week, and I said, like, I'm losing my mind. If you need anybody to talk football for a little bit, um, have me on your podcast. And so you oblige, and I appreciate that. So yeah, man, it's good to uh, to be back with you. And, and sort of let's start there because look, th- these are strange times, okay? But like you said, you reached out because you were kind of looking for something, maybe a little bit of human interaction. We're all sort of under lock and key in one way or another. How are you, Shane, just dealing with life 
in April of 2020. You know, it's weird. Uh, you know, weird's an understatement. There's no real good word. Um, you know, I work, um, I work in the government, and so I've been off work now for almost a month. I mean, we, we got out very quickly, um, probably quicker than the private sector by about half a week or a week. So I've been off work for almost a month, and the big thing has just been getting a routine. You know, I'm um, – I'm a little bit north of 30 now, so I'm trying to uh, get back in shape. So thankfully, this has been really good to work out every day. Um, I've watched like so much Netflix and played too much Xbox, I will admit. But um, you just got to stay sane. I think my routine is wake up, do a protein shake, catch uh, Governor Cuomo's news conference, uh, maybe catch the White House news conference every day, um, catch up with some rank punditry. Uh, on Twitter and on you know the news channels, and then from there I just do my own thing. I've watched a lot of the old school sports that have been shown on ESPN, so I've appreciated that. But it's really just trying to stay mentally busy because like you'll go stir crazy if you don't. You mentioned video gaming. Is there a particular game you're grinded through, or what are you doing there? Yeah, so like I wore out Madden back in the fall, so I've been playing a lot of NBA 2K20. Uh, I got a buddy or two that I play that with. And uh, because I'm a nerd, you know, like you, we like to we have like the front office aspect of of this. It's why we were so big into the draft. It's why you still are. Uh, I do all 32 team control, so I control all 32 teams, uh, and I I kind of simulate how I think things should go. So I'm uh, uh, I'm losing my mind. I'm playing the NBA via the Xbox, and um, just you know trying to stay sane. So Shane, let's sort of transition for a second here because the, the, one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you is, look, you're an Alabama guy. You're a Crimson Tide fan. You know, you don't really have a pro allegiance. You are, I, I think, in a sense, a Packers fan, if I'm correct on that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Pretty big, big Packers fan, yeah. But you do have a soft spot, and this is perhaps a bit of news because I don't think you've really declared it outwardly. You did have a soft spot for the Tom Brady, Bill Belichick, New England Patriots. Is that correct? That's right. You know, like, I think this whole bandwagon thing is, like, overplayed. You, you like who you want to like. Like, we reminisce about all the players growing up that we like, and there's, like, you know, a thousand of them, and we were never accused of being a bandwagon fan back then. I think... I think it's easy to to hate the Patriots just because they win, because of their personalities. But being an Alabama fan, being a Nick Saban fan for the last you know almost 15 years, that close relationship they had, I'm just the type of guy that appreciates winning and, and winning the right way, and, and and you know all those cliches. And so yeah, I've really appreciated how awesome it's been to watch the Patriots. I think that they are really a unique example of of how to run a pro team in the last 20 years. So. So, yeah, I keep, I keep up with the Patriots very closely. And if Green Bay can't win, I want them to win every game, 19-0. But if the Green Bay can't win or doesn't win, yeah, I'd like to see the Patriots win. So then let me ask you this, because we were we would be talking, you know, throughout the whole free agency period, the speculation about Brady. What's your sort of reaction to Tom Brady leaving New England? Like, how do you feel about that? Yeah, you know, I think it was with the quarantine and then just with how – that last week, like right up to the quarantine, we were kind of getting the word from the news guys that Tom Brady was was leaning to leave. I think it allowed us to break up uh, with that whole marriage a, a little bit. It was a little bit slower than maybe normal. So I guess the day that it came out, and really I heard Colin Cowherd coincidentally break it. Uh, he said that Brady was going to go to the Bucks. I wasn't surprised. Like that's who I thought he was going to go to uh, if he did leave New England. I didn't think he was going to go to the Chargers just because 
He's got a two-year deal, as we know. I don't think the Chargers are a year or two away from the Super Bowl, especially with Mahomes there in that same division with the Chiefs. I thought the Bucks, if they could just sure up the O-line and maybe add some defensive pieces, I thought they were just ready-made to really roll because of the offensive uh, weapons they have. And so I was shocked. Um, I wasn't surprised that he picked the Bucks if he was leaving the Patriots, but I was shocked. But I think now, in hindsight, if you read the uh, Seth Wickersham article that came out maybe last week on ESPN, you listen to the Howard Stern interview today where Brady himself said he kind of thought he was going to leave even before last season started. As more stuff comes out, I think we know that Brady really was relieved to leave, and this was probably going to happen all along, and I don't know where we're going to take this, but I think it's one of those things where Brady's excited but I think that the New England Patriots played their hand all wrong. And I think unless Belichick truly is the, the, the smartest person in football that's ever lived, I think the next year or two could be difficult for New England. Let me ask you before we get to the New England side of this, how do you envision this playing out in Tampa Bay? A lot of people have said, look, it's Bruce Arians. We know what he likes to do, the vertical passing game. And some have speculated that, look, that might not be the best fit for Tom Brady. Now, I have my thoughts on that. I think Brady will make this work. But what do you think about that marriage? Well, see, yeah, I agree. I think that, you know, Brady, he tweeted or maybe it was the the Players Tribune article he put out yesterday where in the first paragraph, I think he said, like, I'm excited to go somewhere where they listen to me. I think that was pretty much the paraphrase sentence. And I think that was really telling. And where I'm, what I mean by that is he's going to go play with Bruce Arians. And, yeah, Arians, you know, we know his history with Roethlisberger and Andrew Luck and Carson Palmer and Jameis Winston. He likes to go vertical. But Arians is a smart guy. He's a laid-back guy. And him and Tom are going to go to the lab, and they're going to create offense. It's predicated, I think, a lot on timing like he's used to, but also has some play action and also some concepts where when Brady's arm is in the opportune setting, he can air it out. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's going to go fine if they can protect him. And Tampa Bay has had some protection issues the last two or three years. That's been noted. But I think that Brady, A, is, is a workaholic. You know, his, his stuff that he's done in the offseason with Edelman and just the way he prepares himself, I think he's going to get those guys motivated. I know for a fact that like Godwin and Evans and O.J. Howard and Cameron Bray, they're going to benefit from playing with a guy that's going to give them a chance to compete on every ball. Well, you know, Jameis was awesome when he was on. He just threw so many YOLO balls, for lack of a better term. And I think that can probably get uh, frustrating for receivers. I think they're going to have great success, barring the fact that, you know, or, or with the caveat that Brady can get some protection. So I don't want to just say they're the favorite in the NFC. I mean, the Niners are loaded. The Saints are loaded. Um, you know, there's some good to the Packers. Hopefully, are going to come back and be a playoff team again. But I think that if they can, like I said, cheer up the old line. And then they can just rely on that defense a little bit. You know, they've got a really nice defensive line. They've got some n- nice linebackers and David and White. Um, you know, if the secondary plays well, they could definitely be a playoff team. And if you get Brady in the playoffs, all bets are off. So I think it's going to be a success. Do I think it's going to be a Super Bowl success? I mean, who knows right now? But do I think over the next two years they have a chance to win a Super Bowl? Yeah, absolutely. So let me ask you this. I'll ask you one more follow-up on that before we get to New- the New England side of it. You mentioned the need to protect him. Do you think at 14, then, Tampa Bay has to go tackle? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess you – yeah, yeah. I would say that they, they should probably look at tackle unless someone just falls there where there is like a, an absolute – got to go take this guy. 
Um, the only thing that I think they may do, and again, I'm I'm out of the game, admittedly, so I'm not exactly sure where everybody is scenarioing the Bucks at 14. I know we've talked to some people that like Kinlaw there. Um, I've talked to uh, you know, John Ledyard, who works for the Peter Report now, our good friend. I think he said Kinlaw, him and Trevor Sikama also said receiver. If like Ruggs were there and they really just want to go weird and wild and have Ruggs and uh, and uh, Godwin and Evans, I mean, that's just gross. Maybe they do that. But, yeah, otherwise, if it plays out to where guys don't fall and there's not something ridiculous out there, adding a tackle, which is what New England would do you know, as well, adding a tackle, maybe if that guy can't get on the field year one, you're looking at Brady. This is a two-year project, and maybe he even signs a one-year extension after that. So if you can get a tackle at 14, who may even if he doesn't produce this year, can produce in years two and maybe even years three, then yeah, you, you take that. That's a premium position. So let's switch the shade to the New England side of this equation now. You know, you you an Alabama guy, but you've seen Jarrett Stidham as an outside observer. How do you feel about what looks to be the Patriots' transition plan here, which is to see what they have in Jared Stidham rather than going out and signing somebody else? So uh, Jared Stidham is an interesting case study because his career never really played out in college like it was supposed to. He was like a four- or five-star guy that went to Baylor, sat behind Bryce Petty. I believe Petty got injured early his senior year, and Stidham played some. But Stidham's sophomore year – he was supposed to really have a coming out party and show that he was going to be the next big thing in college. But that year was the year the Art Brow stuff happened. Right. And so he had to transfer to Auburn, which I thought was a terrible decision for him just based on the type of scheme that Malzahn ran. Because as much as – and living here in the South, there's been multiple times the last five, six years where everybody predicted Auburn was going to really open it up passing-wise, and they just never really have. At the end of the day, Malzahn's going to want to run the spread flex or spread spread option, for lack of a better term. And um, I just didn't think it was a great fit. He was at Auburn for two years. I didn't, you know, like again, I didn't think it was a great fit. I didn't think he had a good uh, support system there between the offensive coordinator and the head coach. And so he leaves a year early instead of grad transferring, and he goes to the Patriots where he did get a little bit of playing time last year, but who really knows? So I say all that to say he has had a really tumultuous career since his senior year in high school where he's just never been comfortable. Well, now he's in year two with McDaniels, with Belichick, the familiarity with the systems there. And I was listening, I believe it was Adam Schefter yesterday, and he said that you know, yeah, Jake Fromm makes a lot of sense, or Jalen Hurts makes a lot of sense, but the fact that they didn't look in the free agent market yet, now maybe they do something with Cam Newton and we don't know, but I don't I don't think so. The fact they didn't look in the free agent market lets you know that they're pretty comfortable with Stadium, at least on a trial basis. So sitting here today, what do I think they do? I don't think they're trading up for a quarterback. Bill Belichick just doesn't do that. I, I just don't think he's gonna come up for a guy like that. If Jalen Hurts were to fall, Maybe he, you know, into the second, third round, maybe he takes him. I do think the Fromm pick in like the fourth or fifth round uh, would make some sense if, if Fromm falls there. But I could see Belichick for a year just going with Stidham, knowing that he's already got Brian Hoyer, a guy that you called like 30 seconds after he was cut um, by the Colts. You you called that like crazy, impressive. But uh, Hoyer's backing up and they trust him. So that was a long answer to a short question. But I think that, Regardless of what anybody thinks of Stidham, New England's seen enough to say we're going to try to give him the opportunity to be the, first, the the QB1 coming into the season. Let me ask you this question, Shane. Now, you've been around the draft game, even if you're not officially still in it right now, a long time. 
Sure. You know how drafts tend to fall. Patriots have 12 picks, but they have a pick at 23 in the first, and then three picks in the third, 87, 98, 100. So they've got a gap from 23 to 87. A lot of people have theorized that because of that gap, New England, as they've often done so many times before, is more likely to trade out of 23 to acquire more picks in that sort of sweet spot in the second and early third round rather than sit there and make a pick. Is there somebody... Again, I know you're not like fully vested in this draft, but is there somebody you think that New England might sit there and take at 23? Or do you think it's more a scenario where, yeah, they'll probably trade back and accumulate more draft capital? Well, the guy that comes to mind, and I'm not just saying this because he's a Bama guy, but Xavier McKinney would be the ultimate secondary player for Belichick after some of these guys transition out probably next year. The McCordys are back. Patrick Chung is back one more year, correct? That's right. So, right, so they've got a really experienced secondary for one more year at least, but Xavier McKinney would just be the next generation of, of superstar safeties, I think, for New England, and he's a smart guy. I mean, Nick Saban trusts this guy the way he trusted like a Minka Fitzpatrick or a Landon Collins back in the day. So if McKinney's there, and I don't think he will be, but if he is there, maybe Belichick, just knowing how important secondary is and how good they've been and successful they've been the last couple of years of that secondary – Maybe he gets a year ahead of that need and takes it. But as you were sitting there explaining their picks, what I think is probably more realistic in, in my mind is, yeah, they trade out of number one. And then with those third round picks and with some of the picks they acquire trading out of number one, maybe they trade back up in the, number, in the round two and they have multiple second round picks or multiple second and early third round picks because they're going to trade out of number one and get some stuff. So I think Belichick will be very active on day two. Um, in the early rounds, you know, two and three, I think that's much more likely than them sitting there at 21 and just taking a guy and then not picking again for, what, 50 picks. So, yeah. L- let me ask you this. We're good. I wanted to ask you about some of these Alabama guys, and since you brought him up, let's start with him. Xavier McKinney, give me sort of the elevator pitch on him because, you know, you mentioned it earlier, the Belichick-saving connection. You know, it's hard to rule out New England draft and Alabama defenders. You look at Dante Hightower, for example. Give me sort of the elevator pitch on the Bama safety. Well, like I said, Saban trusts him to do everything. You know, the quarterback of the defense in Saban's in Saban's defense. He you know, obviously there's been linebacker after linebacker at Alabama they trust, and the linebacker the mic is still as important as ever. But as and you know this as well as anybody, as the game has become more pass heavy, secondaries and coverages and those and those designs matter. I think a, you know, maybe not a lot more, but they matter as much, if not more, than than uh, than what's going on in the front seven. And so the fact that Saban was trusting him with all these calls and all these rotations and playing in these different positions, he's going to translate right away. I think you saw you know Fitzpatrick really break out this year for Pittsburgh. I don't know if he's that that level of a guy, but close. It's that he can really play um, multiple positions and. Uh, and get the job done. Obviously, look, Shane, we all know quarterbacks tend to steal the show when it comes to draft time. And I'm going to circle back to some of the Alabama guys in a second, but I did want to ask the Joe Burrow to a Tungo Valoa issue, you know, QB1, QB2, however you guys might rank those. You know, we're hearing rumblings that Tua's medicals might be worse than assumed. I don't know how you come down on Tua as a prospect. I don't know if this is just sort of the smoke screen that we often see before the draft. The teams are sort of, you know, trying to send smoke signals, so maybe he falls. Who knows? But where do you stand on the rise of Burrow? Where do you stand on Tua? How do you view these two QBs? 
Yeah, I'll start with with two. Uh, I've heard the same things just on social media, uh, but then I've also seen him and other people really touting his progress. He's posted videos of him doing some workouts, and so you never really know. I think I think his case in terms of you know independent scouts like you and others. If you miss on Tua because of your medical eval, you don't really hold yourself against you know that against you. So if you have him as the best quarterback or a top two quarterback, and he and he bombs, you can't. Re- who are we to know? But I will just say this: if even if he is healthy um, from the hip, I do still think you have to be worried about going forward that flaring back up, and then just also how he has had a really knock for a knack for being injury prone, even if it's not big injuries. He just seems to be the type of guy that. He likes to take hits. He puts his body out there. He plays He plays a lot like Allen Iverson. And what I mean by that is he doesn't understand how small and compact he is. He plays the game with just an aggression that you appreciate as a fan and as a coach and as a teammate, but it can end up being to his detriment. So I'm not really sure long-term what you, what you know or what you can think about him. But just between him and Burrow, assuming that Tua is healthy, let's, say, let's assume you can get a decade out of him. I still think you know, Joe Burrow is the quarterback you take at number one. What he did in that offense with a bunch of pro players, with an NFL coach in Joe Brady, really elevating his game, I don't think that was a fluke. You know, you can say, well, he had all these guys around him. He had NFL coaching around him. It was the system. Well, what do you think he's going to be playing in in the pros? He's going to be playing in a pro system with pros around him. And I just think he's the type of guy that you want on your team uh, looking back to his year in 2018, I think a lot of those things were there, but we had just gotten so used to LSU being putrid at quarterback and having a backwards offense, and the weapons weren't quite as there, and obviously the system wasn't in place. But Burrow's always been a really impressive, confident. He just has a moxie and a leadership and all those cliche words, but they are true about him. And I look at him going to Cincinnati. He's a guy from Ohio. He knows what it takes to work hard. He went to Ohio State. He had a loaded quarterback room. He wasn't going to get the job, and so he transferred to LSU knowing it was a big task, stepped up to the task. He had arguably the greatest season in college football history this past season. And with all the success, he seems incredibly humble. He seems like he's still going to work hard. Cincinnati is dying for that player. You know, in a lot of ways, it's – been Car- since Carson Palmer that they've had that kind of guy but I think unlike Palmer Burrow is going to want to be there so Burrow is the guy Cincinnati has to take him keep AJ Green there add some weapons around him and go from there but in terms of Tua like I said if you if you can check the medicals he's elite and the production that he had at Bama the system he played in that's NFL system now with NFL players all around him and he is an elite quarterback and 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 like the Dolphins for instance if they can check the medicals, and that's an answer you and I unfortunately can't have, but if they feel confident, they've got to find a way to get him. Uh, you can't – tanking is so risky. Uh, you can't just say Justin Fields or Trevor Lawrence will be there next year. I would say go get two if the medicals check themselves out. He's He really is uh, the real deal and could be special, I think. Shane, one of the most enjoyable parts of my draft process this year has been – the ability to watch positions that aren't quarterback and one of the most enjoyable positions to watch this draft process has been wide receiver. I won't ask you for deep dives on this class, but I will ask you this Judy or rugs in today's NFL. I really think that, that it's rugs. And if I don't know how much time you got, but just to defend that answer, 
you know, there's a lot of people out there that, you know, on metrics, Twitter and Luke's Twitter, that doesn't seem to really like him. They say that he didn't make a lot of his opportunity share or whatever they call it is down. And I, I, I buy an analytics as much as anybody. I think there is a lot of truth in numbers. But Bama receivers sometimes literally played paper, rock, scissors to determine who was going to catch a pass. Uh, I think it was the second game of the year. It was like on like SEC Network work number two or whatever a cameraman called the receivers playing paper rock scissors they were asked about it they kind of made a joke like yeah depending on the play call and the scenario we'll decide who catches what they so when you when you think about the fact he was playing with jerry judy maybe the most polished guy to come out of alabama who's playing with devonta smith who would have been at least a second round pick this year when you've got all those guys around you he still had an incredible amount of production high touchdown marks and just really quickly when you think about the way the offenses are trending in the NFL, and you think about Kansas City with Miko Hardman and Tyreek Hill, uh, those guys are blazers. And whatever they aren't in terms of route running precision, you just look at the Super Bowl when it was when it was imperative to make a play. You know they made plays, and so I think Jerry Judy is a superstar. I think he's awesome. But if I could only pick one, like if I was the Raiders or the Jets or whoever, and I needed a guy to make my quarterback better in today's NFL, then I would probably take Rugs. The other position that has been fascinating to watch unfold, Shane, offensive tackle. Now, I'm I'm not going to make you you know put you on the spot and say who's OT one. You know, Tristan Wirfs is getting a lot of love right now. We're seeing a lot of people even talk up Josh Jones from Houston. Yeah. But two guys that have sort of like that went into this season as like OT one A and one B that have seemingly now fallen under the radar. Andrew Thomas and Jerry Willis. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that, and what are your thoughts, I guess, in particular about the Alabama tackle? Well, I know that that uh, that Jedrick is, is gets a little bit knocked. Uh, maybe he's not as technically proficient, uh, and maybe he doesn't finish blocks sometimes in, in, in pass uh, sets the way that you would like some of the more refined guys. And I, I remember uh, last week or whatever it was, our group chat was kind of talking about that. But if you just need a right tackle. And everybody needs a right tackle. Uh, there is a deficiency at the position in the NFL with all the guys playing on the left side of the defensive end. If you need a plug-and-play right tackle, just take this guy. So he's probably not OT1 because I'm not sure he is a left tackle at the next level, and that still is the premium position um, out of the two. But he's the best right tackle in the draft. I'm sure of that. He is a nasty and aggressive run blocker. And I think Andrew Thomas is awesome. Like uh, He's a guy that uh, just comes from a, a famed Georgia offensive line. Again, another nasty run blocker. Um, not that my opinion matters, but I really like Makai Becton out of Louisville. I don't know if he's OT1 because he's not as refined. And, you know, you want to probably worse is going to go number one in terms of tackle. But Wills is, is my guy probably number two if I had to put out a generic random ranking. Wills is going to be awesome, I think, at the next level if you need a right tackle. Shane, let me get you out of here on this one. Obviously, you know, we've been talking about the NFL a ton. We've been talking about the draft a little bit. But at some point, there will be a 2020 college football season. And we all know that Alabama doesn't rebuild, they reload. Tell me about Alabama's hopes for whether it's a fall season or a spring season in the year ahead. Yeah, they do reload. And uh, they've got the number one quarterback in the country coming in, and Bryce Young, a kid from uh, out west in California. And uh, from everything I've heard, he's working out with some pros out there and just looks awesome. Um, I think he's going to come in and obviously challenge to be the starter. But look, Mac Jones, who uh, came in for Tua Tagovailoa last year, 
he was awesome in the Iron Bowl, and Alabama did not lose that game because of him. Um, he uh, was in, really incredible coming off the bench kind of cold like that. He played awesome in the bowl game. If Mac Jones is a starter next year, I think Bama's super confident. And just looking at the SEC, I mean, Texas A&M, they have some recruits. Are they going to take the next step? I don't know. I, I think Auburn is going to be solid, but I don't think they're going to be, especially losing uh, Adams and, and Davidson and uh, and Brown off the defensive line. Um, I don't know if they're going to be as, as solid on defense again, so they may lose an extra game. And so not to make this too long, but – you know, I think the SEC East is really going to step up with Florida. I think Tennessee is going to take a step, and they're on Bama's schedule. Georgia's on Bama's schedule. And, of course, they just reload at this point as well. So I think the SEC East is actually going to be really tough, and Bama's going to have some really solid opponents finally. I know they get – there's a lot of chatter every year about who is Bama played. They kind of get off easy. But their, their schedule is really tough this coming year. Um, and, of course, LSU is reloading. So that was a mouthful. But Alabama is going to be really solid. I think – they're really excited about defense after last year. They played a lot of young guys. They had a, more injuries than I can ever remember on that side of the ball. And so they're getting guys back healthy. They're having guys in the program now for a second and third year. They're excited about them. And then whether it's Bryce Young or Mac Jones or a combination of the two at quarterback, they've still got weapons on the outside. Devontae Smith came back. And so Trace Sanders and guys at running back. Najee Harris returned at running back. So, again, they just reload, and I think they're right up there again with Clemson in terms of being a national championship-type contender, whether we get football in the fall or, like I think, in the spring. Shane, buddy, fantastic stuff. Great to catch up with you. Just want to thank you, my friend, for coming on and wish you and yours the best. Be well. Stay safe, my friend. Hey, thank you so much, man. Anytime you need a, a random guest, just give me a shout. It's been fun. So we'll talk soon. Sounds good, buddy. Folks, that will do it for episode 95 of the SCO Show. Before we go, just a reminder of what's coming next week. Next week, we got Mock Draft Monday 11.0. Then on Wednesday's show, we're going offensive line, defensive line prospects. Thursday's show, we're going to be talking about linebackers and defensive backs. That's the week to come. Until then, friends, be safe, stay well, wash those hands, and as you do, sing along and bless those Patriots reigns down in Foxborough.